welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. We are here for another episode of Clean Tech Talk. I'm Clean Technica CEO Zach Shahan, and we have Joe Boris here for our second episode of I was going to say Reader Digest, Dealer Digest, not Reader we read. Digest. We read Dealer stuff. Digest, which is a, a new subseries, new part of Clean Tech Talk, where we sort of focus on the different ways auto dealerships are navigating the EV transition, EV revolution, and of course our opinions on how they should. Joe, today we're sort of talking about the ordering process and ordering electric ve- ordering vehicles or, or electric vehicles through a dealer focusing on Volvo, sort of the European yeah. style and the old school style that you mentioned. Right. So for those of you who missed the first episode, one of the things that we touched on in our kind of rambling introduction of what this series was going to be about was this idea that the way that we buy cars is changing. You've probably heard that from a number of different sources if you watch the news or business news or anything. But what does it really mean? The 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 kind of conversations that are happening in the dark smoky rooms of like the auto executive offices is you know, basically, how do we get that Tesla model where people can come into the store, they have that consultative process, and then they buy direct from the manufacturer. And then the dealer kind of exists as a delivery center, as a support center, as a service center, right? So whether or not that's actually going to happen, I think has been debated. But one of the companies that has been most aggressive in that transition has been Volvo. And that's one of the reasons we're focusing on Volvo rather than BMW or Porsche, which we did talk about in the uh, in the last episode, you know, and and there's a couple of reasons for this. I think generationally speaking, the the younger Gen X, the millennials, the Zoomers that are now buying cars for the first time, they don't they don't get excited by the idea of going to a car dealership and then negotiating and haggling for prices, right? I think that that's a safe a safe assessment to make. Yes. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, technically <laughs> I'm an old millennial. I'm like at the very, the oldest end, almost the oldest end of that uh, generation. So yeah. I guess that was for me. Yes. No, that's the nightmare for me. That's really, well, but it's, it's a confrontational thing, right? And it's a you, confrontational yeah. process that doesn't need to be there. Like it's not, it's not inherent in the car buying process. You are able to walk in and pay the sticker price and just say, hey, I'm here to buy the car. Thanks so much and leave. But it, it's kind of a new way of thinking of things that that same everybody pays the same price. If you're a little bit older like I am or like you know, my, your parents probably are. you know. So you're barely not a millennial. So. Uh, I don't think I'm a millennial, dude. I think I'm Gen X. Yeah, I think you're barely Gen X. That's why we're barely so different. Gen X. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think artificial boxes of, you know, of, the you art, know, although they are pretty, but good. it's very true. It's very true though, because like, I think that, you know, for like, certainly my wife's a couple years younger than I am. She doesn't want to negotiate. She doesn't want to haggle. She doesn't want to deal with any of that. I love the idea that I'm getting a better price than the guy that comes after me. Oh my God. Like, you're so rare, dude. You're so I just, It's so I, fun. I like, know I we have the read. It. I've seen the readers. I've seen the forums, especially I'll tell you, I used to follow the Chevy Volt forum a lot. And uh, 
man, those guys were very proud of their <laughs> of their negotiating skills. But like many of yeah. them thought they got the best of the dealer. I mean, I am always like, I don't know, you know, but I, yeah. I absolutely hate the idea of it. I do fit into the millennial box for that. I do not want to go trying to haggle a price with a deal. I don't want to, you know, be as I don't. I assume that I am going to get ripped off massively and that one one thing or another, I'm not going to know to watch out for. And I, I, I'd still think you're rare, even among, I mean, I don't think maybe like another generation back, like our parents' generation, maybe they feel felt confident going into dealers. Like this was a cool new, you know, world when they started doing that. But I would say most people, whether 10 years older than you or not, are not enjoy not into the process i mean and that and that's fair and that's fair and i think that there's a lot of that feeling of i don't want to get ripped off i don't want to pay too much i don't want to get not enough for my trade and i think that you know what saturn did in the 90s and what tesla is doing now by saying everybody pays the same price i think there's an assumption that everybody is paying a fair price and i think if you look at the numbers and you look at the margins and percentages the reality is you're probably getting ripped off a lot worse, but you're getting ripped off just as bad as the guy before you and just as bad as the guy after you. So it's kind of like, okay, we're all getting ripped off equally. Exactly. Yeah. It's very well, egalitarian. It's actually, that's a funny thing because actually I hadn't really thought about it. I mean, Tesla has very high margins, Porsche type margins, but on much, but on higher volume. And that, I mean, that is one of its big, you know, especially the, the I'm not going to call them stock pumpers, but people who are very into the stock, who are very focused on the Tesla stock. This is one thing they focus on. A lot of them focus on is the high margins at Tesla. But that also that's they're taking a manufacturer margin and a dealer margin because they're the manufacturer and the dealer. So they don't have to. There's not that issue of, oh, we also there, you know, the dealer needs to take their cut. Well, right. But the manufacturers, so we're getting a little off topic, but it's worth noting, like Ford doesn't sell a car to you. They don't sell cars to, to individuals, Chevrolet, General Motors, Porsche. They don't sell cars to people. They sell cars to dealers and the dealers have to then turn around and resell it. Right. So that's a very different model than a direct sales model, which where there is no dealer. And what, what kind of, prof- sorry, what kind of profit is a dealer getting? I mean, most dealerships operate on a maybe three to 5% margin historically. If they're a high, high end dealer like a Porsche or Rolls Royce and they've got a hot product, that approaches 10%. But for the most part, the dealerships operate on a very narrow margin. And if you're looking at a volume store like a Chevrolet or a Ford store where they're just churning out, you know, back in the days it was the Chevy Cavalier and the Ford Focus and they were just churning out tens of thousands of these things, they're operating on a very narrow margin. I think that there is, uh, you know, there's more margin in financing and in the interest rates and things like that. But I think this idea that the dealers are getting rich off of every car they sell, it's not real. And I think that the reason that we approach it that way is because we're aware of it, right? Like we don't go into Walmart and go, man, they're selling me this pillow for $9.99. What a great deal. But they bought it for 50 cents, you know what I mean? Like, or, or a dollar 50. And, and we don't look at those 200 and 300% margins, but we do look at the margin when we know what it is. And it, the internet has made it very easy to find out what the, what the dealer paid for the car that you're trying to buy from them. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's two. I mean, I think the big thing is we feel we're getting ripped off. We feel we're not negotiating well. We're not adequate at negotiating. So I think that is the main thing. Like, as long as we're all getting ripped off the same, that's that's better. But also, <laughs> I mean, everybody knows dealers are super rich. I mean, <laughs> if you own a dealership, you're you're making money. You're, you're making a you're lot making, of money. You're, you're making one of the richest guys dollars. in the in the area. Yeah, I mean, I think if you were to do, and, and I'm 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 making this up. I've not fact checked this at all. This is complete nonsense, but I'd bet money on this. If you were to find out the number one job title for people who became millionaires, like the most common way people became millionaires, I bet dealer principals in the top five of that list. So I think buying a car dealership is probably one of the most overall profitable things you could be doing. But that said, you're talking about volume. You know, you're talking about a small margin on a high volume. You're talking about a hundred to 200 cars a month and you're making, you know, 1500, 2000 on each one of those. And you've got that service business and you've got the warranty business and you've got the accessory business and all of that together becomes very profitable. But so we're going to get, we're going to get into the Volvo process or, you know, the order process. Just one last question before that. Sure. And then a note. So is there this this move to direct ordering to ordering as we're going to talk about it is this a threat to dealers in some way is this something that's going to help dealers because it makes their their whole thing simpler and more predictable as well what's the depends who you ask i think from the manufacturer point of view they want a i think from the cynical point of view a cynic would say that the manufacturer is looking at tesla's margins so a company like Ford or GM or Toyota is looking at Tesla's margins and saying, man, we're leaving a lot of money on the table. If we sold cars the way they did and sold them direct to a consumer, we don't have to share that money, that margin with the dealer. We can take it for us. And then you can say, well, the dealer is still getting, they're still getting some processing money. They're still getting some, some money to process the deal, to take care of the customer. And then they're still getting the service business and the PDI inspection money. And they're, they're still getting paid, but they're not getting paid in the way that they were. They're getting paid a fixed amount and rather than a, a larger amount. And I think there is an argument to be made that's very valid to say that, you know, you're going to improve customer service, improve the customer's experience and you're going to sell more cars. So if I'm talking to you, Mr. Dealer Zachary, you know, Zachary Ford in South Florida, and I'm telling you, look, man, you don't have to carry 200 vehicles in inventory. You don't have to pay interest on that inventory every month and, and force yourself into this volume discount selling. You can take a step back, take a breather, have a more consultative process, keep fewer vehicles in your lot, have a smaller lot, pay fewer taxes, have a smaller staff, pay less income, you know, pay less, uh, you know, salary to those people and still make a similar amount of profit by selling fewer cars. You're not going to have these, you know, once in a blue moon rocket out of the park, $10,000 deal where the guy comes in and says, I don't care how much I'm going to pay for this Cobra. You can mark it up 20 grand. Nobody cares, but you're also similarly not going to have you know, a scenario where you're discounting it into the weeds because you don't want to pay that hefty interest payment the following month. So there's an argument to be made there. From the dealer side, you could say, now, wait a minute, I have very good customers. I have good customer service. I've always been well-known and well-respected in my community and people trust me 
to give them a good deal and, and make sure that works. And now they're coming in and I'm having to tell them everybody gets the same deal. I know you and I have been doing business for 20 years and you bought your first car, your last five cars for me. But unfortunately, the way the new rules are, you're no different from anybody else. You're just a number and I can't take care of you the way that I took taken care of you in the past. And I think that that's going to be a, a, a bigger issue, as we said before, for the older people, right? So that have been having, they've gotten used to that preferential treatment when everybody is treated equally. Obviously, the people who've been treated well are not going to like it. And the people who've been treated poorly are going to love it. So hopefully it's going to balance out. And I'll just take the, you know, the most popular opinion of take substituting advantage for care in that sentence. <laughs> I'm not going to take, I take advantage fair. of you like I've taken advantage of you in the past. But, but let's, uh, so we're going to roll into it. Let's just quickly say, you know, anyone who's enjoying Clean Tech Talk is now a dealer digest, a part of that. Please remember to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, wherever you listen and uh, leave a review. That helps a lot. It's a big help. And also, if you, you know, really support what we're doing and want to help us, you know, pay the bills and order buy coffee, you can subscribe for even just a few bucks a month at future.cleantechnica.com slash subscribe. It's future.cleantechnica.com slash subscribe. So Joe. What's going on at Volvo? How are they how are they navigating this transition? When did it start and how does it work? So Volvo has actually always had a, a very interesting program called overseas delivery. And overseas delivery is just what it sounds like on the tin, right? You go into your local Volvo dealer, you sit down with the salesperson and you figure out what it is that you want to order and you know, configure it and go through all the options, what paint, what interior, what options you want to put on it. And then you get an order date. And what does that mean? A manufacturing date. So they will fly you and a guest to the Volvo factory in Gothenburg, Sweden, and you can see your car essentially getting built. And then your car is built. They roll it out into this delivery area for you. Everybody comes out and claps and then one of their product experts, you know, sets up your phone, talks to you about it. And then you essentially have two weeks to drive around Europe and do whatever you want to do. And you can leave the car at any port of call that's approved. So like there's one in Italy, there's one in the UK and Ireland, maybe not the UK anymore since Brexit, but it's been a while since I checked on that one or back in Sweden. And the idea is that you get to experience your car that you just bought in this wonderful sort of idyllic scenario. And then it gets on a boat. And then a couple of weeks later, it shows up at your local Volvo dealer. They clean it. They do a pre-delivery inspection, make sure it's all set for the U.S. market. They call you in, do the delivery here, and send you home. Now, this is a really interesting program because it's been around for years and years and years. And it's very similar to the idea that we already had in Europe and what, how we used to order cars in the U.S., which is to go to the dealer and place an order for this particular specification. The biggest difference is that when you do go for this overseas delivery, you get a little bit of a discount from the MSRP. So you actually pay less than the guy who just walks onto the floor and buys it from the dealer. And you get this vacation and this custom order thing. And one of the things that's always blown my mind is why doesn't everybody who buy a Volvo buy it this way? And I've, you know, I, I worked at a Volvo store. I sold Volvos for a couple of years and I sold a lot of them. And I think I only ever did two or three overseas deliveries. 
And it's a baffling kind of thing because and, the, I mean, people yeah. knew about the option. I mean, if you were selling it, you let them know. Oh, yeah. Well, we had big signs. I mean, we when I say big sign, I mean, like six foot by 10 foot behind my desk. Big picture of Sweden, overseas delivery, take a Swedish vacation. And then, you know, the question was always, what is that? And I would explain it. And we got, you know, we got the sale. We got paid for selling the overseas delivery. And Volvo was happy to do it. But so few people took that up. And I don't know. They, I, I never understood why. Do you think they thought they'd be paying more? And there's a hidden, you know, like, oh, that sounds nice. But there's got to be a hidden extra cost to that. And I don't want to pay more. I never got that objection. The objection that I got most frequently was I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait two to three months for the car to get built. So I don't want to wait two to three months to get it back. Yeah, because I think that when people decide that they're going to go to a car dealership, and again, for for a lot of the reasons that we previously discussed, right? There's a lot of there's a lot of emotional baggage for a lot of Americans when they go to buy a car. They they worry about getting ripped off. They worry about making a payment. They worry about all those things. So when you're finally there and you're like, okay, I'm ready. Let's do this. You know, it's almost like going to the dentist and the guy's like, okay, we're going to do a root canal. And you're psyched. You're like, okay, we're going to do this. This is going to happen. And they're like, oh, I looked at the wrong x-rays. It's not yours. Go home. And you're just like, wait, what? What happened? I feel like, I feel like <laughs> you just picked a really negative one. But it is, it is like the <laughs> ultimate impulse buy. I mean, it's not an impulse impulse buy, buy, but at the same time, it's like it becomes one because once you decide you just want to get it done, get the car, get in your hands. You don't want to risk that you go home and think about it and change your mind or something. You know, it's but it is very, I mean, Europeans do it. They this is what they do. They plan months in ahead. They They order their car and we are apparently not as good at planning. I don't know. It, I think it's a cultural thing and I really can't explain it, but we've, we've never had, we've just never had that success. And then a couple of years later in like 2015, 2016, Volvo came out with care by Volvo care by Volvo was originally how you bought an XC 40. So let's call it 2017 ish. So 2016 for the 2017 model year and care by Volvo was essentially a lease and it was an all inclusive lease. So the insurance was included in it the maintenance cost was included in it. So like oil change at that time, it was a, a gas vehicle. So oil changes, tire rotations, all of that was included. And it was, and you go in, you pay one amount and that was it. And that ultimately was a, kind of a pain in the butt because again, you're ordering the car, you're waiting for it to show up in the interim. Something may have happened, maybe not, but it, it, it took a while. The dealer did not get paid as much. So if I sold an XC40 at maximum price, right, then I would make as a salesperson, I'd make, you know, X amount of dollars. And if I sold it care by Volvo, I'd make probably half that. Now, that said, it was often an easier process. It didn't take half my day. It took about an hour. So I didn't care. I could do three or four of those in a day and I'd be a happy camper which is one of the arguments that the manufacturers will give the dealers all the time. It's like, all you're doing is processing some paperwork and, you know, blessing the order and you're good to go. And, and there was something to that, but this again, because we are not one big unified country, we are 50 tiny countries arguing for power that each have their own laws and regulations. It was very difficult in some cases you could just have your insurance done through care by Volvo in other States. You had to carry a separate insurance policy in some States. You had to pay 
a sales tax on the lease on the lease amount. So in, in some states, when you lease a vehicle, if the total of the lease payments is 15,000, you pay your sales tax on that 15,000. In the city of Chicago, you had to pay at that time sales tax on the entire purchase price of the vehicle. So even though you were leasing it for essentially 15,000 for three years, you were paying taxes if you were buying a $45,000 car. So in many cases, the lease the advantages to leasing were outweighed by the excessive tax. So that was something that needed to be navigated, but they've kind of got that down now. So when you want to buy an XC40 recharge or a C40 recharge from Volvo, the official way to do it is you go to the dealers, the dealership or the dealer's website, and you go through the process of ordering the vehicle. Volvo will then build it. Or if they don't have it already in inventory somewhere, they will they will build it and then ship it to you and you'll have an arrival date. And they are, they are saying that that is going to be the only way that they will sell you a C40. So now if I'm a dealer, I have two choices. I can either lean into this, right? And I can start training my staff to be more consultative. I can start looking at local events and experiential kind of places where I can go do some outreach because... Now, keep in mind, I can't run an ad in the paper that says, save thousands, come to me, I'll give you a better price. You know, at Joe Boris Ford, you'll get a better price than at Zachary Shahan Ford. I can't do that anymore because Volvo is the seller. So I have to go to where you are. We have to build that relationship, that friendship. I have to become more engaged on social media. And I have to basically treat you well to get you to keep coming back to me because it's so easy for them to just say, yeah, you know, there's a Volvo store three blocks from my house, but I'm going to go to the one 20 miles away. Cause these guys are jerks. You know what I mean? So that kind of different experience and different kind of selling is, uh, is going to become critical. But then it's, it does still all have to go through a dealer, right? It does have to go through a dealer. And again, this is because the way that these leg and I'll use the term legacy automakers, the way these legacy automakers have always operated is that they, they build cars and they sell them to the dealers and then they're, they're hands off. They'll warranty the vehicles, right? So Ford could warranty the car. Honda could put a warranty on the car, but what that warranty really is, that means that they will pay the bill for you, but the dealer is actually the one doing the service and doing the maintenance. Now, this brings up a really interesting point. A couple of months ago, there was an article about a, a, a Tesla, I believe it was a Model S, that ran over some road debris and it broke the, uh, the cooling nipple on the, this, this hose nipple, hose clamp on the uh, battery pack, on the cooling. And Tesla basically said, that's a cast piece. It's going to be $7,000. Thanks for playing. And uh, for a couple of hundred dollars, somebody was local, was able to fabricate it and work on the car, come up with a solution and fix I think, it. I think they ended up going to Rick Rebuilds now. They did. That's yeah, exactly right. Actually, I didn't I know if we wanted to plug those yeah, guys we, on. <laughs> we wrote, well, we wrote about the article. I think Jennifer Sensiba wrote about it. And uh, I wrote it. Or you wrote it. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, Joe. I know she's right. in, I know she's very into him and has covered him a few times. But I think in that case too, they they actually shipped the car like quite far from one one yes. state quite far away to Rick because he was like the only guy who does this or or one or maybe not the only one, but he's very well known for for doing this kind of work and very trusted. So sure. but yeah, now if you just, had a Chevy Bolt and they and you went to dealership A 
and they told you, hey, we're going to have to charge you for this battery. It's road debris. It's not a manufacturer issue. This is the way it goes. You have the option of saying, well, there's another Chevy store 10 miles up the road. I'm going to get a second opinion. With Tesla, with that sort of single company ethic, right? You don't have that option. So that's one of the things that we talk about in terms of anti, you know, in terms of antitrust issues, in terms of right to repair. When you have a proprietary closed system, you know, you do get back to that sense of we're all being treated the same, but maybe that's not a solution that works, you know, in every case. So the dealer model does have some benefits because you have competition with each other, not necessarily for who's going to get the most price or who's going to save you the most money. But just like when you go to a doctor, if they tell you something you don't like, you can go get a second opinion. But if you're going through a manufacturer owned system and all the data is on all the systems, you don't get the option of a second opinion. You you get what they get. Yeah. And I think we, we should do an episode on the history of why there are dealers and manufacturers trying to get out of the dealership system, which happened, I believe in the nineties, some of the eighties, eighties, nineties, there was a couple of corporate owned stores and they, they did pull out of them. Yeah. But there's laws, you know, about, you know, so we'll have to get into the, the, the history, the legal history and of all of this, why there are dealers and manufacturers can't just sell directly. Cause if I'm correct, there's no manufacturer other than Tesla or perhaps some other EV startups are allowed to sell directly to customers anywhere in the United States, correct? Uh, I would double check that, but I think that that's right. I know that there were some corporate owned stores, as you said, in the 80s and 90s, but I think that the, the lobbying efforts of the dealerships at that time were successful in their ability to push back against that. And the the things that they cited were very much the things that I'm talking about now, because I think those were, that was kind of about the time I was coming, coming of age. And I was aware of all that was this idea of, you know, antitrust coming in and that, that idea of if there's only one company, then you're sort of at their mercy. And the argument that came in was very similar to when Walmart started their rapid, rapid expansion in the late eighties, where you had small towns that had real economies and they had the general store and they had the local grocer and all of this kind of thing, you know, in, in Wellington, Ohio, when I moved to Chicago from Ohio as a small town there, they had that general store and that main street and all of that was a very vibrant thing. And then they built a giant Walmart super center and one by one, all those stores started closing because they couldn't compete. And I think that that was the sort of populist push from that, like Ross Perot, Bill Clinton sort of era of, you know, this kind of corporate intrusion is bad. And I think that was the original push. But I think now that we have the internet, we have online sales, we can communicate directly in a way that feels very natural to us. Uh, you know, even, even older elder millennials and Gen Xers are very comfortable chatting via text or, or on a chat window or even face to face like we are now via Zoom. I think that that's something that is very normal and natural. So the idea that I can't go online and buy a car from a manufacturer feels much more strange to us than it would have yeah. previous generations. You know, like we're not, we didn't have that vibrant small town, local five and dime as part of our experience. We just had, 
you know, kind of you go to the mall, you go to the big box store and that's it. And now I've got to go deal with this local guy, this intermediary between me and Ford. Like, why can't I just go buy the truck I want or the, or the Mustang that I want? Why do I have to go through this guy who's holding it hostage and demands an extra five or $10,000, which again, his business model is what it is. And he's forced into it just as much as you're forced into it. So uh, there's, it's certainly not a clear, a bright white line. It's, it's a little bit fuzzy. Yeah. It's definitely a weird thing now. And you feel like, this seems sketchy. Like, why can't I just buy it from Ford or, or GM or whatever? But I would, we'll come back to it. But I would just, I think, kind of simplify for especially people who followed the Tesla story. I mean, so back in the, at some point, it was sort of like GM versus the auto dealers on this, like GM wanting to sell directly. And I think some other automakers, but I'm not sure, maybe Ford. And now, nowadays, you know, people are familiar with the kind of auto dealer plus GM against Tesla direct sales battle which has happened in several states so they see it as all like legacy automaker and dealers together fighting tesla direct sales but actually you know gm fought for direct sales for a while and basically lost to the dealers and so you can also see why they would be like hey this is not fair we wanted to sell directly and and we were we weren't allowed to so it, it is an interesting thing i think maybe maybe the next episode or but let's uh Let's go ahead and finish up with with Volvo. So I think you laid out the process for how how that works. I I <laughs> I am very curious. Like <laughs> it's very it's like now an irritation on my mind. Like why more people don't take the trip to Sweden and, and I don't you take or 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 China right because <laughs> they have China, the factory in China or so. Well, I mean South Carolina. I know why I wouldn't take the trip, but I mean I could go to Myrtle Beach. I've had fun there. I'll go, I'll go to Carowinds and do that, uh, you know, do the roller coaster thing. I'd have a good time, but you know, it's certainly less appealing, I think, than a a trip to China or a trip to Sweden for most people who grew up in the South. Like I can just drive to South Carolina. I I don't need the special flight, but yeah, it's, it's a baffling thing. And when we circle back to it, we talk about Porsche's uh, ordering and BMW individual, which serve a different purpose, but are kind of similar you know, we'll talk about how that is a premium where you pay extra for that. And Volvo, this is something they encourage because they want to make you an evangelist and they want you to be someone who's going to be a diehard. And they actually incentivize you to do the custom ordering by giving you a better price, by paying for that vacation, by making it essentially a marketing expense. And I'd love to hear from the readers. I'd love to hear from the listeners also, if you have done that overseas delivery, you know, why, you know, how that was. And if you haven't done the overseas delivery, if you turned it down, why did you turn it down? Well, I'm that's, curious too, how many baffling. people are aware of this. I, I feel like it's got to be a tiny percentage of people who are aware of it. And even if you, you go into a dealer and you're talking to someone like Joe Boris, you know, it's might be the first time you really are aware of it. So you're just like, no, 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 I don't, don't try to trick me into something. Just give me the car, you know, but I think I would be curious how many people realize that's an option. And and yeah, I, just to wrap up, can you also just speak a little bit to then where, where this trend is leading for Volvo? Uh, I, you know, if yeah. it's going to be all, um, and just real, but real quick, I would say also if, te- <laughs> I mean, not to ruffle feathers, but if Tesla started doing this tomorrow, <laughs> can you imagine how many people would be like, this is the most innovative, this is so Tesla, this is all, you know, look at, they've <laughs> invented, created this great uh, new system where you get to visit the factory, you get a discount. Can you imagine how much attention and how, mu- how much that would spread 
before people or i mean most people probably never find out that volvo already did it <laughs> well i mean we had that conversation with the vegan leather you know tesla made big news national news by putting vegan leather in their model y and it's like these italian companies and swedish companies have had vegan leather in the car for 20 years nobody cares but i think that it it, it speaks to this idea that you're you're and again this is a huge generalization i don't want to make it horrible but I think your average Tesla customer is not like a car guy, you know, is not a car girl. They're not someone who is a gearhead who talks about gear ratios. Like I can tell you that, you know, in an E30 BMW, if I wanted to get the 411 rear gear ratio, I had to get the Cabriolet or the 325i and that my, you know, 2.7 ADA motor had a 373, which changes the acceleration and changes the way it drives. Like, I have not been able to have a conversation like that with someone who's a Tesla guy without them sort of like glazing over and kind of like, uh huh, that's great. My Tesla is way faster. And it's like, yes, it is. I was, but that's not the I fun was part. even about to verbally <laughs> indicate that I'm glazing over now. <laughs> no, no, I think it's, and it's easier for someone to sell an Apple product to their friends and get excited about it or sell a Tesla to their friends and get excited about it based on certain features and performance than you know, get into that gearhead world where you're getting into those nuts and bolts, a whole different. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't have a conversation about video cards or Ram or, you know, different SSD drives with a guy who's on a MacBook pro because, but I, they I, also, don't care. I mean, I think, I think also like most Tesla people can't either. And there are Tesla that's people fair. Who, that's who can get point. into the, like, they get into the tech side of that and they sell and they try they have those kind of conversations around the tech but for the most part, people are buying and selling and evangelizing with Tesla because of obvious consumer features or, or specs. Yeah, and it doesn't hurt that if you're going to travel across the country in an EV and you don't want to have to pre-plan that trip, Tesla's the only one who will let you do that right now. So good for them. But yeah, I think that that's, uh, that's definitely a lot of food for thought there. So let's focus this one. We'll, we'll wrap up. We talked about the overseas delivery. I think that that's going to become not the overseas delivery, but the, the custom ordering by design is becoming a larger part of Volvo's business plan. And with their other companies that they're rolling out, Lincoln Co., which is a, a vehicle sharing kind of vehicle that's premium, but still a ride share scenario. And also with Polestar, which is a a very high performance electric brand that spun off of Volvo. They are only doing these experience centers the same way that Vol or I'm sorry, the same way that Tesla did the same way that Lucid is doing where you can experience the vehicle, you can test drive it, you can place the order, but ultimately it comes to you directly. It doesn't go through a dealer. And, you know, Volvo did something very smart. They have Polestar and that came from their motorsports and their racing firm. And Polestar was, you know, the pole position and we're the pole star because we're the fastest car. So you're always going to be the star of the pole position. But when you talk to the guys at corporate today, and when you meet with these guys and, you know, get them drinking and kind of loosening them up and talking to them, they talk about pole star the way that ancient mariners would talk about the, the Northern pole star, right? You know, they talk about it as like, this is the way forward. This is the way the whole industry is going to be doing business in 10 years. It's going to be purely electric. It's going to be sold direct to the consumer. The dealer is going to be a service center and they're going to be a customer service center as well. And they're going to serve to essentially provide that experience because 
our focus and our core competence is building products and building cars and their core competence is taking care of the customer. So we can have that sort of synergy. And if the dealers don't like it, we'll figure out how to take care of the customers on our own. Thanks a lot. So I think that answers the question that, that I cut you off. You know, basically you, you <laughs> see, you see the whole company going in that direction. Yeah. And not just them, not just them. If you want to buy a Ford Maverick right now, which is the new uh, compact pickup truck that the market has been clamoring for, for years, I want one myself. The only way for me to get one is to order it from Ford and pick it up at a local dealer. And I think you're going to start to see more and more of that. I think they're doing something similar with the lightning, which is why I keep bringing up Ford as well, but you'll see that from GM. You'll start to see that maybe with the Cadillac lyric, especially as the Cadillac dealers transition out into that new phase you'll see more and more of that. And if GM ever decides to revive Saturn as an EV only brand, which would be the best thing they could ever possibly do, I think you'll see that would be a direct sales as well. And we can say Steve Hanley would be very happy. He was, he was, <laughs> but oh, we'll, Steve we'll Hanley. return to that. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll drop we'll all return, the names, right? We'll return to Saturn and Steve, uh, maybe have him on the podcast. Yeah. All we right. Should. Thanks a lot, right, Thanks so much, Zach. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you. Fascinating discussion. You really brought so much into it. So, you know, I think we can account on you doing that for episode after episode of Dealer Digest. Thank you all for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Thanks.